0: This is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Everybody's heard of David and Goliath. I want to show you this morning quickly, before we get into the main point of the message, what we would have seen. Understand that uh, we're going to get to heaven. I believe with all my heart that the Lord is going to allow us to see these stories. And I can't wait to watch David and Goliath on a DVD or maybe up there, maybe it's called Heaven Flicks. I don't know, but whatever. I can't wait to watch this and see what happened. But let me show you just a few things to set the scene. If we had been there, here's some things that we would have seen. First of all, we would have seen two separate armies. The armies of Israel on a hillside over here and way far away from that the armies of, Phil- of the Philistines. Now, Israel and the Philistines had always been enemies. They just were always enemies. They were right on the same border, and they were always fighting each other. And the Bible says they set the battle in array. What that means is that they put their army out there ready to fight. And so Israel's army was on this hillside, The Philistines' army was on this hillside, and there was a valley in between. Now, usually what would happen, as we know, when two armies go to to battle, a lot of people die. A lot of people get injured. You know, arms get cut off. Legs get cut off. People come out of battle. They can never walk again. Eyes get put out. People come out of battle. They can never see again. They have wounds that they will bear the rest of their lives. So there was something different about this battle. You see, this army over here, the Philistines, they had a warrior who was a giant. This guy, the Bible says, was nine and a half feet tall. Now, how tall is nine and a half feet tall? The tip of my finger right there, is eight feet how do I know because I can walk into an eight foot room and just barely touch the ceiling How do I know because I can go to the deep end of the pool do this and my uh, tip of my finger will be sticking out of the water so that right there is eight feet Add another foot and a half past that and that so or if you're looking at a regulation basketball rim go just six inches from the rim. That's how tall this dude was. Now, he wasn't just nine and a half feet tall and skinny as a rail. He was nine and a half feet tall and he was muscle bound. He was a warrior. He was a trained warrior. He was strong. He was tough. And he was armed. He had every piece of armor that was available in their modern warfare. And he comes walking out. Now, again, picture him from where we are. A foot and a half past the tip of my fingers there. That's a big dude. Okay, not quite, but almost. I mean, his head is almost to the end of that little peg there that... Pulls on the ceiling fan. Almost that tall. That's a big dude. And every day, here was his plan. I said a minute ago, when two armies go to battle, people get killed. People get injured. People never walk again. Some people never see again. People bear scars for the rest of their lives. So this warrior's idea, their plan was this instead of these two armies going to war and all those people being killed and injured, his plan was he would come out and and he got the approval of his army, the Philistines. He would come out in this valley every day and he would say, instead of our two armies fighting each other, we propose that our army sends me out and your army sends your guy out and we'll fight one-on-one. And whoever wins, his country wins. And so we don't have to have a bunch of people die. We don't have to have a bunch of people injured. Just one man dies. And But then he took it a step further and when he was finished, he would spend the rest of his time cursing the armies of Israel and cursing the God of Israel and telling them how weak they were and telling them that their God was a phony. And he did that day after day after day. Now, Israel just froze up there because they couldn't find a man who was willing to go down and face this nine-and-a-half-foot giant. Nobody was willing to lay down his life. Let me tell you the second thing that we would have seen, okay? And this is just a rough estimation. estimation, Representation. Put two words together there. A rough representation. But I'm going to ask right now that every man 18 years or older Stand to your feet. Would you do that? You don't have to say anything, but every man 18 years or older, okay? So take this handsome crew, multiply it by a few thousand, and put us all up on that hillside, just sort of looking at each other like, who's going to go down there and fight that giant? Are you? Are you? Are you? Who's going to go down there? I don't know. And so that's all of us. There's thousands of us up on that hillside looking just like this. Handsome crew, yes, but not very brave. Because none of us is going to risk our lives to step up and say, you know what, I'll go. No. You can't look at them. Oh, look at that madman down there. None of us will do it. Why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? None of us will do it. Bunch of cowards. We're all a bunch of cowards, man. And then, and stay standing for a second, let me show you something else you would have seen. Now, I tried, of all these good-looking teenage boys over here, and the other ones too, uh, I tried to find a 17-year-old. Apparently, of all these guys, we don't have a single 17-year-old. Did we finally find one? No? Okay. So the closest we have is Stephen who says he's going to be 17 soon. All right? So Stephen, I'm going to use you. All, All you need to do is stand to your feet. All right? So everybody turn and look at Stephen. All right? The Bible doesn't say that David actually was 17. In fact, he could have been exactly Stephen's age. He was, he, he might have been 16 or close to 17, but uh, most people believe that he was 17 years old. We know he wasn't 18 yet because he would have been old enough to be in the army yet. That's what's presumed. So with all of us times thousands on the hillside going, look at it, I don't know. He steps up and says, I'll do it. With all of us, I mean, we're married, we have families, we own chariots, we own houses, we have farms. We've been to, hey, we went through boot camp, all of us did. This guy works for his dad and takes care of his father's sheep. And with all of us standing there shrugging our shoulders, he goes, I'll do it. And somebody hears him say, I'll do it. And goes to King Saul, who the Bible says elsewhere was head and shoulders of every. So King Saul's pretty tall, his own self. And goes to King Saul and says, hey, there's a kid out here that says he'll go down there and fight the giant. And so he goes in before the king. Now you stay standing, Stephen, and all you cowards be seated. <laughs> and they do it. They, they know that they uh, just about 30 seconds longer. He goes in before the king. And he says, I'll do it. I've heard him curse down there. I've seen him down there. I've heard what he's had to say. I will do it. Now, I'm not going to walk you through all the King David part. I'm sorry, the King Saul part and all that conversation. But I just want you to see that this group of men times thousands versus one young man who wasn't even old enough to be on his own yet, saying, I'll do it. Now, if it was just some smart-aleck kid standing up saying, yeah, I'll go, hey, ain't nothing. I'll tell you, that would have been one thing. But he did more than just talk. He went down there and he killed that monster. He went down there and defeated with a sling and a stone, one stone, one shot to the head, he killed him. So it's more than just words. He had actions to back up his words. Go ahead, you be seated. Thank you, Stephen. So here's my question, and I've always had this question when I, when I read this story. What gave a 17-year-old boy the courage to attempt what all of the adult men in the land were afraid to attempt? Now listen, let me beg with you, plead with you, To consider this question for yourself. Because I want to accomplish things in my life that other people say can't be done. And I hope it's your desire, whether you're 60 or 6 or 16. Or anywhere in between. I hope it's your desire. Whether you own a business or work a job. Or you're a student in school. No matter where you are in life. Whether you're married or single. No matter where you are in life. I hope it's your desire to do things that other people say can't be done. Can I be frank with you for a second? When you are 14, 15, and 16, and even 20 and sometimes 25, it's very easy to say, hey, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be that girl. I am going to do things that they say can't be done. And you get to be about 35 or 40, and you start to look around at life and say, you know what? It's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. You know, I thought other people were not doing the big things because maybe they weren't trying hard enough. But I've been trying with all of my might, and I don't seem to be getting any further than anybody else. By the way, we're not talking this morning about getting further. than It's It's not a comparison game. The race is not against other people. The race is against you and your own potential. But I hope every one of us, no matter where you are, Whether you're 12 years old or 60 years old, anywhere in between, anywhere before that, anywhere after that, I hope that there is somewhere in your heart that spark that says, I want to do more than what people settle for in life. I don't want to settle. I don't want to settle. Hey, I don't want to be up on that hillside with all of those men saying, I want God to do something in my life. And that's what David had the courage to say. I believe God can do something here. So here's the question we're going to answer quickly from the Bible. What did David see that those men didn't see? See, the reason that David stood up and said, I'll do it. And then it wasn't just talk, he actually did it. He took Goliath's own sword after he had killed him, cut off his head, and of course this is not how we do things today, but that was a very different culture. Cut off his head. And grabbed, I'm sorry, hun. grabbed him by the hair and carried it home. <laughs> I'm going to bring this back home with me. Hey, dad, look what I got out there today. And he's carrying Goliath's head around like a trophy. It wasn't just words. He did it. But what made him think he could do it? He saw things differently than all those men saw it. And the reason David saw things differently was because David saw things through the eyes of faith. David believed God. Faith always sees things differently than everyone else sees things. So what did David's faith see? Three things I want to share with you. Listen carefully. David's faith saw the difference between God's purpose for his life and everything else that was opposed to God's purpose for his life. You say, Pastor, where in the world do you get that? Well, look at his own words. He said, verse 36, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. All right. So when David goes before King Saul, King Saul said, what do you think? What makes you think you can go down there and defeat a trained warrior who's twice the size as you are? What makes you think you can do that? David said, let me tell you a story. He said, "Uh, I have for many years taken care of my father's sheep. He said, one day I was out there in the field all by myself. And the sheep are all around me. You could picture the sheep here. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's not a bad sheep right there. (laughs) The sheep are all around me. And all of a sudden I, I look in the bushes and I see a lion coming out. And that lion's hungry. That lion is there for lunch, King Saul. And he comes over and I've got a decision to make. Either I'm going to let that lion take one of those sheep and I'm going to, when I go home, say, Dad, I got bad news for you. We're down a sheep. But hey, I'm still alive. Either I'm going to do that or I'm going to stand up to that lion. Now, forget about Goliath for a minute. What made David think he could take on a lion? The very thing that I just said. David's faith saw taking care of sheep as his God-given purpose. And when David saw that lion, he said, that's a threat to my God-given purpose. So if I stand up to that lion, God's going to take care of me. Simple as that. The clearer picture that you have, by the way, he took on the lion... David won, the lion lost. A different day, he went on to tell King Saul, a different day, it was a bear. I was out taking care of my father's sheep. That's my job. That's God's purpose for my life, take care of the sheep. And I was out there taking care of my father's sheep. And all of a sudden, I see a bear coming out of the bushes. And he said, I had a choice to make. I could go home that day and say, Dad, we're down a sheep. A hungry bear came along and I had to choose between my life and, and, uh, and, and a sheep's life, so we're down one sheep. But he didn't. His choice was my God-given purpose is to do my father's will, take care of these sheep, and that bear is a threat to my purpose, and so I'm going to stand up against that bear, and David won, and the bear lost. And he said, King Saul, the same God that stepped in when I defended those sheep against the lion, and the same God who stepped in when I, when I uh, risked my life against that, that bear, that same God, is going to step in when I go up against Goliath because Goliath is a threat to God's sheep. I say again, what did David see? David's faith saw the difference between God's purpose for his life and everything that was opposed to God's purpose for his life. Could I say it this way? David saw everything in black and white. David said the sheep are God's purpose for me the lion is the enemy of God's purpose so if I stand up against the lion I will win God will step in and defeat the lion David said the sheep are God's purpose for me the bear are the enemy of God's purpose for me so if I stand Stand up for the sheep and fight the bear. God will step in and defeat the bear. And now David was saying, Israel is God's sheep. Goliath is the enemy. Goliath is the lion. Goliath is the bear. And if I step in to defend God's sheep against the lion, against the bear, against the enemy, against Goliath... God will deliver me. David's faith, David's faith saw everything in black and white. I say to you, if you have a a, a faith, you will never have the faith to take down a giant if you will not see God's purpose for your life. You will never see your giants defeated if you refuse to see the difference between God's purpose and everything that threatens God's purpose. If you refuse to see the difference between the lambs that God has entrusted to you and the lions that threaten it, the bears that threaten it. You know what? A whole lot of Christians these days would say, Well, I love lambs, but I love lions too. I love lambs, but I love bears too. I love the Bible, but I like to drink too. I love church, but I like to party too. I like to be called a Christian when it's convenient, but I like to rock out too. I like to be called a Christian when it's convenient, but I like to party and smoke weed too. And that's why you'll never take down a giant because you can't see, you won't see the difference between the sheep and the bear. You refuse to see. Everything's just a, a big... It all goes together. There's no distinction between God's way and the world to you. There's no distinction between God's purpose and and sin and self and wicked. It just all flows together. It's just one big happy In fact, this this pop culture Christianity, I guarantee you if they'd have been on the scene there, they would have gone, well, who's going to fight for Goliath? I think I need to go out there and fight some of them Israelites. Who's going to stand up for Goliath. Goliath's human too. That's what this feel-good, pop culture, no Bible, no doctrine, no holiness Christianity would have done if they'd have been in David's shoes. The reason that David had the faith and the courage to stand up and say, I'm going to fight that dude and God's going to bring me victory is because David saw the difference between the sheep and the lion. David saw the difference between the sheep and the bear. David saw the difference between God's sheep, Israel, and the enemy named Goliath. I'll tell you something else David's faith saw. David's faith saw that God was able to deliver him from all of his enemies. Look at verse 37. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Listen carefully. David. It's all the same category in David's eyes. Lion, bear, Goliath. No difference. We don't do that. We think, well, you know, God answers those little prayers, but this is big. You know, God met that little need, but this is big. How many times are we guilty of that? How many times do we go, yeah, I know, God, God he, you know, he provides my daily bread and, you know, he, he gave me $10 when I needed it, but this is big. David made no such distinction. David could see clearly That there's the will of God and then there's everything else. There's the will of God for my life. And then there's all these things that threaten it. I say again, folks, the reason that there are not a lot of giant killers is because we don't distinguish things. There's no wrong anymore. Nothing's out of bounds anymore. All of our things that, that uh, are associated with our so-called faith, they run together with our partying. They run together with, our, with, with, with what we drink, what we smoke, what we watch, who we hang out with, what we listen to. It all runs together. There's no dis- Well, you're not ever going to kill a giant if you can't even recognize that a giant exists. David would have never known to go against Goliath if he didn't see Goliath as a threat to Israel. And the problem is the world, the flesh, and the devil in our modern Christianity, we don't even see these things as a threat to our faith. We just mix them together with our faith. Bring the drinking into the church. You say, oh, that's not happening. You're not paying attention. Yes, it is. Bring the rock concert into the church? That's not happening. Yes, it is. We had to let go of one of our missionaries this very week because he posted a video online, and he's just decided to go a different direction. And he's 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 having he's uh, he's home on furlough, and he's going to churches where they're having rock concerts on Sunday morning. Okay, I'm sorry, we're not supporting you anymore. That's not what we're about. That's not what God's about. David never would have taken down Goliath if Goliath was up there drinking with the Israelites. David saw the enemies of the will of God as being separate from David, from the sheep, but he also saw that God was able to deliver him from all, his, all of his enemies. Listen, the longer David lived, the bigger his enemies got. But listen carefully. I love this. It wasn't about the strength of David's enemies that caused him to know God would deliver him. It was about the strength of his God. See, the lion compared to God was nothing. The bear compared to God was nothing. And Goliath compared to God was nothing. It wasn't about the the strength or the size of the challenge. It was about the size of his God. Listen, God wants you to accomplish great things in your life, but you're not going to do it without God. But you're going to have to stop seeing the size of the challenge and focus on the size of your God. Because compared to God, no challenge is too great. Let me show you a third thing and we'll be all finished. David's faith, listen carefully. God had promised to deliver his people from danger. And so David's faith saw it as his duty to risk being in danger. For God's cause. Listen carefully. Why was David at the battlefield to begin with? Does anybody know that? He was there because he had seven older brothers who were in the army up there. And his father had sent him to bring some lunches to them. David didn't even have to be there. So listen carefully. David's going to King Saul. And he says to King Saul, God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You got that? In fact, see if you can say that with me. It's a long sentence, but see if you can say it. David said to King Saul, God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Let's say it again. Ready? God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You got that? Let's try it one more time. David said to King Saul, God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. All right. Can I point something out to you? If David didn't want to fool with the Philistine... All he had to do was go back home. I mean, he was already delivered from the hand of the Philistine. But when David said to King Saul, God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine, what he was saying was, therefore, I have to go down there. There's no no deliverance without a fight. David could have walked away and never had a fight. Of course, we wouldn't know who he was then. There never would have been a story of David and Goliath. But if David didn't want to get hurt from the Philistine, all he had to do was walk away. Nobody would have blamed him. But David said, God's promise to deliver me from my enemies requires me to go down there and fight. Where does that put you and me? We sit up on the sidelines and wait for God to deliver us. We're not even putting ourselves in harm's way. You say, man, I, if God would ever provide this for me, I would step out in faith. You got that completely backwards. God says, if you would ever step out in faith, I would take care of you. Man, if I ever came across, you know, a group of people who were standing there saying, hey, what must I do to be saved? I would step out in faith and witness to them. How about you leave your place of comfort and go to where they are? How about you let everybody at school know you're a Christian? How about you let the other people on the workplace know that you're a Christian? I don't mean you got to stand up and make a fool out of yourself at break time. Just carry your Bible to work. They'll figure it out. Just read your Bible at break time. They'll figure it out. Just keep your distance from where they're telling the dirty stories. They'll figure it out. Oh, you say, what, what are you want? supposed to be, some kind of a square? Nope, just a Christian. Listen carefully. David didn't have the whole Bible like we had. We're almost done. Don't worry. David didn't have the whole Bible like we have. David didn't have this promise that we have. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. David didn't have that. David didn't have this one. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Isaiah 43, 2. David didn't have that. David only had the first five books of the Bible. Maybe this was the promise that David was clinging to. Exodus 23:20. 20, Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Maybe it was this promise that David was clinging to. Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 11. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. Maybe it was this promise from God. Deuteronomy 31, verse 23. Be strong and of good courage. For thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. I don't know what verse, what promise David was clinging to, but I know this. David didn't need God's deliverance if he wasn't going to face the giant. You know what's crazy is how many Christians, and I'm just talking about, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about Christianity in general. How many Christians are sitting on the sidelines talking about God's deliverance? Delivery from what? You're not even on the battlefield. You don't even take the risk. You're not in harm's way. What did I just, it was in the bulletin this morning. I didn't plan to use it, but I remember believers, okay, I need those glasses. There we go. Believers who seem at a standstill are generally neglecting close communion with Jesus. An old preacher named J.C. Ryle said. Are you down there facing the giant? Or are you on the sideline wondering, when is God going to do something for me? When are you going to do something for God? David and we're all we're all finished with this statement David said the Lord will deliver me therefore I must risk it all and fight the fight what's the fight that God's wanting you we don't wrestle against flesh and blood we're, we don't fight people we're in a battle against Satan What's the fight that God is wanting you to take on? Just take a stand for Jesus at work, to take a stand for Jesus at home. Hey, Dad, how about this? Hey, y'all, before we leave the supper table, let's have a word of prayer. And I don't just mean praying for the food. I'm talking about let's, let's, let's take a few minutes and pray. Each of us pray. Or you tell me something you'd like me to pray for. We'll pray as a family. You say, that's hard. Yeah, that's why I called it standing for Jesus at home. It is hard. Standing for Jesus on the job. Having the courage just when you're in the store among strangers to to say, oh, praise the Lord. I got that on sale. Praise the Lord. The Lord saved me 20% on that. I went, praise the Lord. Stand for Jesus. Pass out that track. Let your neighbors know that you love the Lord. Let people know you're not ashamed of God. And let God deliver you. Say, man, if I let people know I'm a Christian, I won't get that promotion. If I let people know I'm a Christian, I won't make the team. If I let people know I'm a Christian, I won't get that award. You take the risk. Let God take care of you. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning, please. To see things differently. Lord, let us not be all those men standing on a hillside saying boy, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to go. Isn't, isn't there anybody that can go? I'm not going down there. I pray that we would have the courage of a 16, 17-year-old young man to say, well, every time I've stood for the Lord before, he has delivered me. He'll, he'll do it again this time. Help us to see it all differently, I pray. Let's stand together this morning.